0: We're back. I'm Paul. The other guy's Kevin. He'll be talking in a minute. And uh, welcome back to Everyone Gets a Trophy. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying this little ecosystem that we're create, we've create we created uh, in partnership with the 1-0 podcast, go ahead to iTunes and do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. If you do that, it really helps us. It really helps our distribution. And uh, lets us know what you like about the podcast. We've had some great reviews about the podcast, and I really appreciate reading it. It looks like the uh, nostalgia is something everyone enjoys, Kevin. And, uh, yeah, just do us a favor, if you don't mind, and go subscribe, rate, and review at iTunes or wherever you listen. iTunes is the most valuable. That's the 800-pound gorilla in that space. But uh, also, I want to offer some advice, which is do yourself a favor – and take advantage of our amazing sponsor. And that's David McClellan. David
1: is a great financial advisor and a fiduciary financial advisor, which is really big at the obligation of that. Uh, but David can really help out a lot of different people. And a lot of different people are at different spots right now. And there's a lot of anxiety and Paul and I get that. We completely get it. Uh, but this is a free consultation. So it's free and it's someone who really knows what he's doing. In fact, he's seen it from all angles of the business. We're we're really proud to offer all of our listeners a chance to work with David. So he's from Forum Financial. I mentioned he's a fiduciary financial advisor, and he specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now he is giving those free consultations. So if you do mention the podcast, you're going to get that as a freebie. And part of that is David's going to help you understand your financial freedom number. That's kind of the main thing, Paul.
0: Yep, absolutely. You can reach David at 312 933 8823. If you don't recognize that area code, it's Chicago. Chicago. And, uh, David used to live there. Uh, he now lives in Austin. He has a nationwide clientele. He's very good at what he does. And look, bottom line, even if you just want to talk to someone who's very knowledgeable, In a time period where we have geopolitical instability, we've got presidential elections, we've got congressional elections, we have a massive virus. We've just shut down and locked down a massive part of this economy for a considerable amount of time. No one knows what that looks like. If you think there's value in picking up the phone and talking to someone who really knows their stuff, uh, you're not alone. So do yourself a favor. Pick up the phone, 312-933-8823. Give David a call and uh, pick his brain a little bit. Let him pick your brain a little bit, and I think you might be surprised at what he can do to put you on the right track. Yeah, he's just not your typical advisor. There's only so much we can say because
1: of regulations, but trust us, it's free and it's going to be worth it. Really knows his stuff. The uh, his resume, like I said, speaks for itself. That's why you have the three one two. But he he does have a lot of Austin connections as well. He's a big Texas fan. We're big Texas fans, and we're looking at. I want to get to the running back running back room because that's something that you wrote about on inside Texas, but we can start with the receivers because
0: it came out yesterday that Tyrell Shavers, you remember him? I do remember Tyrell Shavers. He was a big uh, recruit a few years ago in Texas and went to Alabama. Right.
1: And, and, and big in, in multiple ways. He was a four star and obviously gets a Bama ride, but uh, he's a big guy too. And only had one catch, I believe for 20 yards, maybe a carry did block a punt and scored a touchdown on that. But a lot of times when you get transfers as a redshirt junior and they only have one catch, there's something going on there, right? Tariq Black, we know the lack of production was because two of the years he was injured. But we know when he's healthy, he's a good player. We've seen that. So we're excited about Tariq Black. They already got the Michigan transfer. And there was a thought because Tyrell is from Louisville, that 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 maybe Texas could be in on it but the reason I was excited was because Alabama is one of the few schools that if you have one catch after your redshirt junior year uh, you know what I'm buying your bullshit because you have four or five first round picks ahead of you
0: (laughs) yeah legitimately right and I mean beyond Henry Ruggs and uh, oh I'm blanking who was the other guy
1: Oh, well, you got Henry Ruggs and – oh, now, now you put me on the
0: spot. I'm, I'm totally am I know. I'm sorry. It. I Jalen
1: Waddle. Jalen Waddle. Yeah, Deontay. He might
0: be the most talented of the of the three uh, eventually. Deon-
1: Deontay Smith and
0: then I'm missing uh, my – Jerry Judy, who's my favorite. Yeah, Jerry Judy. He went in the first round too. I mean – and it's funny because, I mean, you know, Ruggs is the classic ultimate speedster, right? And then Jerry Judy is the uh, – Precise route runner, smooth. Yes. Yeah, And then Jalen Waddell is this little burst of speed, quickness, and strength uh, playing in the slot. And, I mean, they were just loaded. And if you couldn't find work behind that group, there's no real shame in that, is there?
1: No, there's not, which is why I thought, even with the production, because we got asked that question a lot, I thought, well, this would be someone that uh, I'm glad that we're sniffing on. And apparently we were. I think TCU was in there. TCU would make sense. I mean, my, my nephews and niece, my niece goes to TCU and she's kind of from that area. She's flower mound, but a lot of those kids end up going back to TCU if they transfer back. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's the case. But, look, at the end of the day, and this is where all of a sudden Mississippi State is going to have an advantage they never did, especially right now, if he wants to get production and get balls thrown at him and get receptions, he can do that even for a 7-5 Mississippi State team with Mike Leach there now.
0: Yeah, that offense is going to create touches. And, uh, you know, if you're an elite athlete, yeah, I think the knock, if there is a knock on Shavers, it's that he's a better athlete than football player. Yes. But Mike Leach will manufacture touches. And there is a prototype of the tall, fast, outside receiver at Texas Tech blowing up and having huge games. And, uh, yeah, Leach is going to find some work for that kid. So, yeah, you know, look, I don't know how he's going to pan. I think he could have been an asset at Texas. We certainly need some people to stretch the field, particularly in the the offense that Yursich wants to run. And you, you know, generally, as a general rule, you want dudes who are 6'4", 6'5", and run a four three five forty on your roster. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll, you'll figure out a way to give them work later. But, uh, yeah, Texas missed out on him. That's a shame. But I'm kind of eager to see what he does at Mississippi State.
1: Yeah, so we were talking about it. I am too, actually, I, even though it does suck because I wanted to see him here. And I don't even know how close that got, but it, it does. We were talking about it on the show today on the horn and Rod brought it up that he's been hammering this, that look, th- this passing attack and really the bulk of this offense is going to have to, at least the core of it is going to have to come from the backfield. And because what we'll, we're going to kind of see what the receiving room looks like, especially if Brennan Eagles does not end up playing. There's still 88 days left until then but he was pretty vocal with everything that's going on right now and we but we had questions I mean questions about Woodard questions about Moore I think there's some guys there obviously Jake Smith and Whittington but a lot of that even with Whittington the backfield including Sam is where a lot of that stuff whether you're throwing or trying to get drives going that's where it's gonna have to come from
0: well the backfield for the first time in Texas First time in Texas for Tom Herman, at least under that regime, this is a stable, talented group that most programs in college football would trade their running backs for hours. Hmm. And it has not been the case uh, the, the prior years under Herman. That that was that was, you know, that these were not a coveted group of of runners. And I wrote an article on Inside Texas just kind of documenting that because I'd forgotten just how bad it was. And now, obviously, uh, you and I are both of the school that runners are often created by the larger system around them. Right. The scheme the offensive line, the outside threats, receiver, the quarterback, all that stuff. But there are good, great average running backs. You can tell you can just watch them. And outside of even the ecosystem, you can kind of get a sense of their talent level. And so back in 2017, Herman came in, and it was a four-headed running back room. It was Daniel Young, a freshman Daniel Young, Mm -hmm. Chris Warren, uh, Kyle Porter, and Tennille Carter. Wow. And I remember, Kevin, distinctly at the time, people being like, wow, look at the— yeah, we've got a loaded running back room. Look at all that depth. And I was just like, no. Like, that's not depth. Names that are familiar to you are not depth, right? right. Depth is about talent stacked on top of, it, you know, of each other. It's about a, a second stringer and first stringer being scared to miss a practice because the third stringer might take their job. And these guys were a bunch of names. And really, that's how that season played out. Now, they didn't have a good ecosystem. The offensive line was disastrous. You had a a true freshman, Sam Ellinger, taking most of the snaps at quarterback, splitting with Shane Bouchel, et cetera, et cetera. I don't need to rehash 2017. But collectively, I don't know if you remember this, Kevin, the unit, those four guys had 288 carries total for 1,200 yards. That's split across four backs. Mm. 4.2 yards per carry, which at the college level is terrible. Yeah, especially in that big 12. In that Big 12, I mean, the, we played San Jose State that year, and yeah. people forget that game. And San Jose State was the worst team that Tom Herman's played since he's been here. And that group had 42 carries for 322 yards at 7.7 yards a pop. Chris Warren had a huge game. They win. They beat San Jose State 56 to nothing, like running power, right? Two tight ends and all this stuff. And there were people actually saying after that, oh, we found our identity. This is, you know, we're going to grind. I was like, San Jose States of Juco, like at best, this is terrible. And so they almost lost their program. I mean, like a decade ago and Dick Tomey had to save it. That's right. That's exactly right. If you remove that production, that game from that season, the Texas runners averaged 3.6 yards a carry and averaged 73 yards a game between all four of them. Hmm. Wow. That's as, that's as bad as it's ever been in UT history. It's, it's never been that bad. It is. But you know what? You, you bring up a great point that you really,
1: when you talk about depth and you're trying to be objective about it with your own team, especially, it's your eyes got to tell you that, not your ears, because your ears are going to be familiar with every name and there is going to be some recruiting service, especially with the way Texas yes. recruits that told you this guy is going to be great or good.
0: It's a residue of recruiting. And what you do is because we all follow recruiting feverishly. And, you know, Texas is one of the, what, 15, 20 schools that the fans can name every recruit. And they know who's leaning what way and all this stuff, right? Yeah. And so you these guys become ingrained. And you get this residue of they're, you know, now on campus and particularly when they're true freshmen, right? Because they haven't disappointed you yet. You can, you can put any amount of faith or projection you want into them. Suddenly, Tony Carter is going to be the, the, the solution, right? Suddenly, uh, you know, Daniel Young, oh, well, he's, he's a, he's a blue collar guy. He's exactly what we need. He kind of reminds me of Selvin Young. And it's like, okay, like, relax, you know? And, and you realize very quickly that, you know, they're just not super talented. And the, the proof in that was in 2018, we basically folded the cards that we were dealt in that backfield. And they went and recruited grad transfer Trey Watson from Cal and they got true freshman Keontae Ingram mm-hmm. and that became the backfield. And with Sam, Kyle, sorry, with Sam too. With Sam. Yeah. I mean, Sam was the de facto uh, running back. And in fact, in 2018, I'm glad you said that he had 16 rushing touchdowns. The entire running back field had seven. <laughs> so not what you want, but production did improve. And, the talent level in the backfield still improved. Now, I wouldn't say that this was a top 30 or top 40 FBS backfield, but it was starting to look like an FBS backfield. And Trey Watson, say whatever you want about that guy, steady, uh, spectacular. but man, he was a workhorse and he got after it and he you know, came up huge against Georgia. And then Keontae... He came up big showed, all year. I mean, he he showed to be a durable guy
1: and a guy who would block. He, he definitely showed that he was probably a better runner than I thought in that Georgia game. There were some things that game where I thought, man, you really finish this thing off nicely. But for what you're looking for from a grad transfer, like he gave me so much more than I, I was expecting.
0: Yeah, and, and also both of those guys were capable pass catchers. Keontae, yes. who showed some flashes of what he's done now. I mean, obviously, he was a lighter version. He was younger, wasn't as built up, but he would show real flashes. But then he'd have issues with durability, right, which is a primary ability for a running back. And those guys raised the backfield level, but were still not at high levels. 2019, you saw actually a real leap, and it was partly Keontae Ingram. It was Rashawn Johnson who became a fan favorite for pretty much everybody. Uh, coming in, moving from quarterback to running back, adapting, and, and not only running the ball well, but actually catching well, blocking well, being kind of a blue-collar guy. And uh, those guys collectively, average, those two guys as a duo average 5.3 yards per carry, which is the first Herman backfield to average over five yards a carry. And that in the college level is is competent or above competent. And the beauty of that is they're both returning They both have natural growth that they can still make. Keontae Ingram previewed what he's capable of against Utah, right? He had a great game. And Roshan ran well in that game as well. I actually rewatched it recently because I'm writing my Thinking Texas football book. And uh, I was struck by how dominant those two guys were in the second half of that football game.
1: Yeah. But Roshan, yeah, you're right. And you kind of forget about even that Georgia game. But early on, he was one of those guys that, that he just looked, he looked comfortable, and in the cuts he made, he had vision early on. He was he was the best running back on the team outside of Sam, obviously, but the best running back on the team, I thought, for the first I don't know third of the season, maybe half of the season, quarter, whatever.
0: Yeah, you know, Keontae really goes up and down with his with his injuries. Yes. And, When he's fresh and healthy, he looks like a different guy. And he looks like the guy that you could project big things on from high school. And he could make these really sophisticated cuts, and he has great vision, and he's developed some power as he's put on weight. But he's just not always 100%. No. Because we saw that
1: Keontae, Paul, we saw that Keontae more in the second half of the season where he did look like he had that burst back.
0: No question. And so now, heading into 2020, for the first time in the Herman regime – you have real depth, and you, it's, there's a nice symmetry to it. You've got a senior, Daniel Young, proven veteran, tough guy who will block. You've got a junior, Keontae Ingram, who's got some hides up on his wall. You've got sophomore Rashawn Johnson, who's now comfortable with the position. And then you've got a true freshman, Bijan Robinson, who, because this is Texas and we love shiny new things, uh, of course, everyone wants him to start from day one, right? You know That's the idea that he's going to be the overwhelming talent. But the truth is, We've got a real backfield and a real depth. Everyone can catch. Everyone can block. Everyone can run inside, can run outside. Uh, It's, it's pretty exciting. And I don't think that means Texas is going to become a running team by any stretch, but I think it means they're going to run effectively. And I think you're going to have the ability to throw the ball to the the backfield. You're going to have, you know, the, the backs collectively probably will catch 55, you know, maybe even 60 balls. They're going to have, you know, have a lot more rushing attempts. They're going to probably get 30 touches a game, where in prior years, we were almost sort of trying to limit our running back touches because we weren't getting much out of them.
1: Yes. Well, I love all that, and I agree with it. And it, it does, I I guess I had forgot, too, just how bad, or not bad, but untalented the, the running back room was for what Texas usually has. Because I like Daniel Young, but when Young probably was as talented as any back there. He serves a better role right now, and you're right. He is a, he is a tough guy. He could be a short yardage guy and a good blocker. But kind of the way it all balances out with the other three guys, I'm excited. I want to throw one more in there, Jordan Whittington. What, how often? Because that's where that's where I think they're going to be more versatile with their packages and their personnel, and then being able to get out of that. I mean, LSU did a great job in 11 personnel last year, and then and then so people or in nickel, and then that, that would turn into uh, an, an empty set. So I'm not sure Texas will be able to have that much versatility this year, but how can Winnington play into that, and do you expect to see him get some carries, or maybe even Smith too? He should get
0: some carries. Uh, you definitely – he's got some Debo Samuel to his game, uh, some of that potential. I think because of the, the uncertainty at wide receiver, I would try to predominantly – play him at wide receiver, play him in the slot. But I wouldn't want would to move that guy around, and I want him to touch the ball in as many ways as possible. You know, there is a tendency when you have good talent at running back to say, well, let's go split black. You know, let's go split backs, and let's take a little pressure off the wide receivers. And there's some validity to that, but the truth is what teams will quickly realize is if your second split black split back. Um, well, they are, are going to both be black, I'm hoping. Yes, there. Are, yes. always a good sign that running. Back, so you're saying Jake generally. Smith won't get any carries? I'm saying Jake Smith should not carry the ball <laughs> unless Larry Zonka is redshirting for us right now. We want to. No, God, it keeps it's the it's the, it's the L and the split. Yeah, it's giving me problems. no, it's a tough one. Sorry it's a about tough one. That. But um, slow down on that. No.
1: I, I, that'll be that'll be some advice after this show. Uh, you sl- <laughs> I learned a long time ago: slow down on that one.
0: That's a good thing. Yeah, we need to put that in the iTunes reviews. You guys help me with that. Um, but yeah, I, basically, your second back there—that worked. Uh, <laughs> if, if they don't have, re- you know, high-level receiving or blocking ability, then the two running backs aren't really helping you because you're really just kind of taking a wide receiver off the field. And even a mediocre wide receiver is a better pass catcher than a regular running back, right? And so it, it's a kind of weird thing, and you think, "Oh, we'll we'll trick them, you know we'll have these two backs. Well, defenses figure that out pretty quickly, yeah, and it's it's very difficult to do that also without also putting a running burden, just the nature of the kind of plays you run with that, It's hard not to put a greater running burden on Ellinger as the option. And because you want to sort of run the split back stuff to either side, and you want the quarterback to be the constraint. <laughs> you end up having the quarterback carry the ball more because that's how I defend Texas, right? I've tried to get Sam to carry the ball a lot. I try to put a bunch of hits on him. And, you know, I, I just think that Texas will do a lot of stuff. I think they'll be formationally interesting. I think Whittington can play a big role there. The fact that Roshan, Keontae, and I think Bijan can all catch pretty well that that really helps because you can get the ball in their hands in unique and interesting ways. I just think for the first time, we've got some real running back talent. We've got an offensive line, which should be pretty good at run blocking. And you've got a quarterback who's seen every defense. He can get you in and out of good plays. He knows you know, how to audible and get you to the right numbers in the running game. And he's got constraint with his own legs. So I expect the Texas running game to take as big a jump from 2019 to 2020 as it did from 2018 to 2019. Interesting. So you definitely think that it'll be kind of where Yursich
1: starts, at least hid the idea in his head. Okay, this is where my strength is. How do I get
0: them involved in the running game and passing game? That yeah, makes sense. And and frankly, wide receiver more often than not does work itself out if you have talent. If you've recruited talent, it kind of just works its way out. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're going to have elite talent at wide receiver or even great wide receivers. It just means it's a position where if the the offense is otherwise healthy, those guys usually step up to some degree. Yeah. No, you're right and I mean I'm not
1: saying Texas cuz they have not been recruiting like Florida State. They were in that Mac era from 99 to to 06 or whatever in terms of recruiting, but they Florida State back in the day during that run, it was it, it just every year there was some new guy and all of a sudden you knew who Snoop Menace was, even though you know. And I, I followed their spring back then. I was really into those teams, and there would always be some guy they'd lose a bunch of talent, and someone would emerge. And if you stack the talent enough, and that that's a a a an extreme example, then then yeah, you're right. Something could come out of it. Is there anyone that you've heard about? And I know you got your ear to uh you you hear a lot of different things and you know a lot of different people is anyone standing out i say that i guess it's impossible to know because they haven't been able to work out right
0: no they just reported back i think they're trying to i'm just trying to figure out like who's who got fat who's who who uh who hasn't been working out hasn't been lifting you know all that kind of stuff and that information will be trickling out soon through june but no, I have no idea. And I think that's what makes this interesting going into fall camp. You're going you're gonna to have to find out who can step up pretty quickly. And then, uh, yeah, look, there are tiers to running backs. And I think Texas has seen the tier level of talent improve each year with Herman since 2017. There's also tiers of college football programs. So, Kevin, I want to pick your brain a little bit here. I'm going to turn the tables on you since I had to defend my running back thesis. Okay. I'm going to pick your brain on the top. College football programs. And the way I want to look at this is Adam Rittenberg wrote an interesting article on ESPN. And what he chose to do was which Power Five jobs are most coveted by the coaches? Hmm. So it's not what program is historically the best or what program do you think is the sleeping giant. What are coaches, where do they want to go coach right now? Now, the coaches may not necessarily have perfect clarity, or they may have a little, they can be just as prone to Johnny come lately bandwagoning as anybody, but it is revealing in how they view it and how some of the powers in college football, the tier one powers, at least in the viewpoint of coaches and some media have degraded to tier two. So I'll give you an idea of his top nine. May not be surprising, but there's a couple of omissions that may be surprising. So okay. his tier one is nine schools, Alabama, All right. Clemson, okay. Florida, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, and USC. Do we have any quibbles with that bunch?
1: Huh. Alabama, no. Clemson, no. LSU, Ohio State, Georgia, no, Oklahoma, no. If this is about wanting to uh, attractive jobs, yep, no. Uh, USC, even with the shit show that their athletic department has been, and no. I guess the only one, obviously, I'm I'm holding off is Florida. I I I, I would say yes, it it is, but I don't I don't know if all the coaches would look at it that way considering it's in the sec now it's been in the weaker division of the sec in the east for the last 10 years and it is the state of florida and the other two aren't that good so there's a vacuum open yeah florida is florida's is good to be there
0: yeah i think that makes sense you know the one that i think is interesting i had to talk that one
1: through but i think i got it at the end
0: yeah well let's before i get into well let's let's deal with this and then we can talk about the omissions because i think you'll have some opinions on that Clemson is the one that stands out, right? This is the rising star program. Yeah. This is a program that would have been in the middle or bottom of tier 2 just 15 20 years ago, right? Right. And look, they they tried
1: this in the early 80s and they got busted for hardcore cheating and it took a little Danny while. Ford. Danny Ford, absolutely. And they you know they had Ken Hatfield in there, they had Bowden in there. They had some okay coaches and some okay success. But I think that they're doing it. They kind of realize how they have to do it. And I mean that in all the positives of strength, evaluation, coaching. Clemson especially has had it's, – it's remarkable the consistency that they've had with coaches. And, in fact, it's, it's how I think they got uh, Higgins – or not Higgins, uh, who's – Justin Ross, who's from Alabama, and it came down between Alabama and Clemson. He said, look, Alabama changes all their coaches every year. Clemson has had the same guys for – for ten years. And yep. and so the consistency's been good, but they're also playing the game, and I think the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle that they got over, not that not that any program can't get can't get hit, but the NCAA would have hit him if they were gonna hit him like they did in the eighties and say, nope, you can't come up to this tier or mountain
0: yet. That's fair. You know, I wonder how much of that is a pure creation of Dabo Swinney. And, and, and by the way, I, I think almost all of
1: the major programs are doing some sort of that. Uh, So I'm not trying to to like, you know, claim that any of the schools I like aren't doing that, but it obviously can be done to different levels too.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I, let's stipulate that no FBS program is following the rules exactly. No, but it's a question of, are you cheating on a scale of three out of 10 or nine out of 10? Yeah. So I want to get back to Dabo Swinney. Is it Clemson or is it, this guy singularly creating Clemson as a viable program, is not Is he the Bobby Bowden of the the 2010s? I, I, I was going to say yes. I don't know how much blowback he's going to get from
1: how he's handled the whole Black uh, Live Lives uh, Matter movement and really all the protests that are going on. And I got to say I'm really proud of Tom Herman, the fact that he stepped up and was very vocal about all that, and, and he should be. So I Dabo is kind of in some heat over that. That'll probably blow over. But, yeah, what he's done so far, he, he looks like it.
0: Well, I, I just think it's interesting how quickly you can gr- – a regional program, which Clemson was, um, it's interesting how you can fall like rise and fall. Because Florida State, if you would have done this exercise 20 years ago, people would have included it. And they would have said, uh, oh, yeah, let's say 25 years ago. You can't leave out the Knolls. They're a superpower, right? But that was a creation of Bobby Bowden, and they really haven't – they sort of fell. They died with Bobby Bowden, and they haven't really risen since. So I think this is more perceptual than people realize. Like some of the the core fundamentals of a program, some of that gets confused with the coach who's doing an amazing job.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: All right. Hey, hey uh, so
1: LSU would, would definitely be on there for you, right? Because there's a couple others I want to ask you about. LSU and also Georgia should be on there, and I think LSU should too. But Georgia, I think, is the one that it's been the longest since they've won a national championship, right? That's like 80. That's
0: right. You know, it's funny. I did this exercise on Inside Texas about three or four years ago, and I put Georgia on my list because it's about infrastructure. It's about your potential. And people are like, ah, how could you have Georgia on there? That's stupid. I'd have Oregon over them. And it's like, no, it's, it's about where you're located and getting the right guy. And if you get it, it's, it's, it's not hard to see what Georgia become, what it's become, which is, you know, a top three recruiting school, amassing talent, um, probably not the greatest collection of coaching, you know, compared to some of their peers, but I mean, Georgia's real good. And it didn't take long or, or much for them to just become weaponized. And it's really about just your potential as a program. LSU is the, is the Georgia of Louisiana. And, yeah. and I think people always knew that. It was, it was sort of the sleeping giant that Nick Saban injected. And, and they're fed. also
1: hitting Houston hard. I mean, that, that's attractive to a coach saying, not only did I own this state, we were the only one in this state, but we can go east and hit some of our SEC states, or we can oh, yeah. also we can also uh, you know
0: head west too, and they are and they're they are, killing it there. They are increasingly the default choice of East Texas and and parts of Houston, and uh, you know you know where else something- you know where else they're getting because I know a kid that went went to Flower Mountain Marcus
1: Marcel Brooks I believe, yeah. uh, that like he went there, and I was asking my niece I think she was the same year as him. I'm like, why would a kid go to LSU from that area? Houston, I kind of got. She's like, oh, there's actually a, a lot of people in that Flower Mound, Louisville, that whole area that are doing that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the other fact is we have some great historical programs that are not in this tier one. And in our lifetimes, it would have been laughable not to include them. And so I'm talking about Notre, Notre Day, Dame, Michigan, Michigan, Penn State. Yeah, Penn State would have been. So, um, are these are those
1: correct omissions or are we prisoners and Flo- of the and, moment in Florida State when we were growing up? Florida Florida State would have been the Clemson of this, like you accurately said. He's kind of the the new younger Bobby Bowden if this would have been 20 years ago or 30 years ago.
0: That's right. So, did you take any issue with the exclusion of Notre Dame, Michigan, or Penn State from the Tier 1? Uh,
1: well, the Notre Dame thing, I think you can – I think Notre Dame is – is there's still as much – there's still like 85% of the things that would make you Tier 1, considering this, making it attractive for coaches, maybe 90% is there. But that 10% with having to recruit certain kids in the academics and they take that seriously, then – and you know, I'm sure Notre Dame's doing stuff, but they're obviously not. I say obviously. I'd be shocked if they're paying at the same rate that in Alabama, LSU, Clemson, and other schools. I just gave you the top three in terms of the last couple of years of, of how they've been on the field. But there's a lot of people doing that, and I think you just can't get away with it. I'm not. I don't think Notre Dame's clean. I don't think anyone is, like you said, clean. But. I think they got to keep it low on the scale. And that's not as attractive to, to a lot of coaches. And I get that.
0: Do you think that it's also beyond academics or or cheating or something like that? Do you think that coaches view Notre Dame as having a Alabama like commitment to athletics in terms of. Eh, just support or getting that right recruit in who's a little borderline or uh, having the local cops cover up a, uh, a keg fight? Oh no, they, they they look. They
1: may be doing that. I have no idea. Uh, I mean, I know the alumni is, you know, there's a huge alumni, and it's obviously all across the country, and you have got subway subway alumni, and you've got fans all over. But it, do I think Notre Dame's clean in stuff like that? Uh, I think there's probably a lot of schools. It wouldn't shock me if Notre Dame has done that in the past or is doing that right now. Just like it wouldn't shock me for a lot of schools. To what degree? I don't know. But you can always have one booster that influences police or whatever the hell you're talking about sure all right michigan are we prisoners of the moment is that that fair for me to say that they're tier two i mean do you do you think they should be tier one no no i think they should be tier two okay and for the reasons pretty much that we gave there
0: yeah yeah i think they have some administrative constraints that coaches find unappealing yeah we can leave it at that
1: yeah and and coaches
0: that have won there that that drove lou holtz out yep so michigan are, are we just prisoners of the moment if we switch Urban Meyer to Ann Arbor, are we talking about Michigan as one of the five elite programs and Ohio State, their stars falling? Yeah, Michigan should be in this.
1: Oh, you think so? I, I, I think so. I think more so than Notre Dame. Now, Michigan, stu- you have the academic standards, but I mean, not, not as much as, as, as Notre Dame with, with some of the. I mean, it's just, it, trust me. And, and I'm not saying this to brag, I'm saying this as a frustrated fan. Uh, because the two Prop 48 guys that they ever took were two of the best students and have been two of the best representatives for the school ever, and they happen to be two pretty damn good players, Tony Rice and Chris Zorge. So I, I, I do think that, I don't know, I, I don't want to get into my frustrations uh, with Notre Dame because I, I do love the school, but I understand Notre Dame being where they're at. Michigan, I think you can make a much better argument for them to be Tier 1. So I think the
0: argument against them is this. But it could be a lack of of imagination, maybe, because Ohio State, I mean, at least made the observation on Inside Texas, I don't know if we talked about it on the pod, but they have made a massive shift out of recruiting the Midwest to recruiting the South, Texas, California, right? Ohio State is a national recruiter, and they get a small portion of their recruiting class now from the state of Ohio, which is a massive shift in how they've always done things. Michigan has less fertile natural recruiting grounds, right? They've always relied on the ability to go raid Ohio. And then they've always relied on a national brand. They've always gone and recruited a Tom Brady out of California or, or, you know, they they used to have a little run of recruiting Texans. And uh, I think that's eroded. And I, I don't know why I'm not sure what that's about. And maybe that's the coach. Maybe that's the direction. Maybe there's academic pressure. Maybe there's program pressure. I don't know what it is, but Michigan has receded as a national recruiting brand and Ohio state is arguably one of the two or three dominant national recruiting brands. And if you're a Texas fan, Ohio state has been in in our cupboard far too often and for elite, elite recruits. And so who are, you know, just got drafted, right. Okuda Dobbins, guys who really should have been Longhorns in, in a perfect world. And I wonder if it's just a matter of the right coach and the right emphasis, or if there's something structurally in that program that the coaches sense that Ohio State's, I mean, effectively just an SEC school in the Big Ten, and Michigan is more of the traditional Big Ten school.
1: Yeah, I, you, you're dead right about Ohio State, but I, I definitely think you can make a, a case for Michigan to be tier one. You've got, who else did you mention? You mentioned, did you mention Florida State? Florida State is in Tier 2. Okay. Um, where's Which Texas? I agree with. Where, yeah, I do, too, uh, right now, especially because I, I don't think they've got – I think that you kind of found out the the curtain was lifted a little bit, that Florida State doesn't have the alums that these other schools do
0: because it, it's new money. Oh, oh, beyond that. I mean, Kevin, Florida State pre-Bobby Bowden was Texas Tech located in, in – a, a much more favorable recruiting ground. Oh, I, I mean, it was a... I'm aware.
1: I'm pretty sure it wasn't... It didn't become... It was a teaching school. And it was a teacher's college. till
0: like, 1958, right? Oh, yeah. And, and Bobby Bowden came in and just built it up. And they, they actually... They were one of the main reasons that Georgia was suppressed as a program for so long. Because they dominated the recruiting in the Panhandle and Georgia. And if you know anything about Georgia recruiting and those dynamics... They need to be able to own the state of Georgia, which per capita is as good a talent as you'll find in in the country and their ability to dip down into the panhandle of Florida and go to South Carolina and all that. Florida State used to take all those guys and eat Georgia's lunch. Oh, yeah. But once that once Bobby Bowden lost his fastball, which, of course, you know, he was 75 years old and the program started to recede, they have become what they've become and i don't know if you can rally them back to those days ever again absent a a a coach who's just exceptional
1: yeah i i still think there's a lot uh a lot of uh a lot of strength to that just because where you're at. And there is a vacuum there right now. I mean, I think Mullen has it turned around the most and can take advantage of it the most. And I can see why Florida is is tier one on this thing and Florida State is tier two. Because, yeah, you, you would have reversed that. When Spurrier got there in 90, I believe, 89, 90, then, man, you could feel that thing turn and, and it felt like a sleeping giant. And he was able to do it with his with his alma mater and the place where he won a Heisman. I think one of the interesting things about these or about this list is the fact that it's obviously, you're trying to look at it at, from the perspective uh, of a coach and what are all the positives, which is why, I mean, is Notre Dame one of the top programs of all, you know, ever historically? Of course. Um, I mean, they, they would be on that Mount Rushmore, but that's not, a, not, not what this is about. And some of these like Florida state, it's it's not as sexy because in Penn State, I guess, to some degree, but definitely Florida State, because you're heading in there and the expectations are it's like it's a smaller version of UCLA basketball. You know that we're never going to be able to do that again to that level. We're not going to finish in the top four for 14 straight years. I can I can tell you that I'd like to hear that at a press conference from a new coach. Right. Well, uh, so, so, you know what I mean? So, the perspective there is the expectations be high. Although, then I look like at a place like Texas A&M, which hadn't won a national title since 1939, and they have really high expectations because they're paying so
0: much. Uh, I guess A&M would be Tier 2, right? They're Tier 2, and I think they have a lot of similarities with an Auburn. With uh, And, then you know, they're, they are, Longhorn fans don't like to hear it, but they are, the, you know, a sleeping giant. And, yeah. obviously, they've had, they have been they've had football success. Uh, hey, we were that days. when we were kids, Fun. Paul. Texas was that. That's it. That's exactly true. In the mid to late and '80s. It's funny, speaking of us being kids, we we haven't talked about the program that was the dominant program as we were coming up, right? Miami. Miami. Which which, fall, which in the '80s and '90s, if you did this exercise, late '80s and '90s into the early 2000s, plenty of coaches have put them in tier one, not only because of the resources in terms of athletes, the the Facilities are terrible. The fan base is terrible. But the athletes were incredible. <laughs> and you had this momentum of you take that Miami job, you're going to win the national title, and you're going to get an NFL gig. Yeah, right? And you're right. And also, as Jimmy Johnson found out,
1: Jimmy Johnson played at Arkansas, coached at Oklahoma State. And then once he got down to Miami, he was
0: like, no, I'm not leaving this place. No, no, I, I need to be head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. League. But, you know, you had Dennis Erickson right. come in. And you had, you know, all these different – I mean, Larry Coker won a freaking national title there, Kevin. No, so, he, he, I mean, he, he put, kind of pulled a George Seifert. He did – he pulled a George Seifert. There's no question about that. So, you know, I, I just find it interesting that what we view as immutable, like, oh, yeah, Texas, they'll always be – well, you know, it depends. You know, Texas has the fundamentals. They have the underpinnings. They have the infrastructure. But people used to talk about UCLA that way. Yeah. And you can kind of lose the collective will to be good at football. And I'm wondering if that's how coaches perceive Michigan.
1: Interesting. Um, maybe so. I mean, I, I can see them being Tier 2. You said Auburn is. You said Florida State. You said Notre Dame. You said Oregon. Oregon. Uh, yeah, I think that's where Oregon Whatever should one be. Would you expect. Yeah. But, and, look, Oregon would have been, at times in our life, Tier 3. They've been able to oh, elevate yeah. to Tier 2. And they're pretty close to to moving up to Tier 1 if they can put more wins together. But that athletic department,
0: because of Phil Knight, has, has exploded. The, the only difference between an Oregon and a Clemson is the natural recruiting base, right, their location, and the coach. Yeah. Because Oregon, in terms of facility, support, commitment to football, I know uh, Big 12 fans and, or Texas fans are always saying, oh, we should never go to the Pac-12. No one cares about football. I can assure you, if you go to Oregon – they're football mad and they, they really do care about football. The outson is an awesome environment. It doesn't get any sort of press or real attention, but people take it real seriously. And, you know, similar Utah has a similar feel when you go to those games, things like that. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And, and, you know, honestly, we can do the tier one, tier two thing. What it's really about for a coach, at least is, am I in striking distance? Can I do, can I do this from this school? And whether he's the coach at Clemson, which people would have said, no, that's kind of bottom of the tier two just a few years ago. You, when you go to Texas A&M, when you go to any of those schools or in Oregon even, can you win a national title? The answer is yeah, yeah, you absolutely can. Yeah. And the great thing is,
1: like I said earlier, at Florida State, you win a national title there, but you have a couple down years then there, there's still going to be a mindset. And this is the way fans are. And the UCLA thing has been a great example for us because we've been able to experience that. And I'm sure you have, even though you're in San Francisco on the West Coast. But nationally, I mean, if you follow college basketball, you know, their fans, I remember it was Ben Howland, I think. He got him to a, a Final Four and then next year maybe a Sweet 16. And, they, look, these are people that grew up seeing John Wooden win eight in a row or whatever the hell it was, seven in a row. I mean, mm-hmm. were, were these Walton teams and, and Lou Cinder, that they? it's the best dynasty in the history of UCLA basketball. So you're not going to be able to replicate that. And not all fans still obviously are that dumb about it, but it's also just kind of part of your nature as, as a fan. I know this as a Bulls fan that, like, your expectations to really be blown away because you've experienced it are pretty damn high and that's where an a and oregon you can win one and really not only coast on
0: that but be a star there forever nebraska football yeah right? i mean that was the, the program of the 90s that you know some of the greatest teams we've ever seen and if you had made these sort of tier one tier two sorts of lists i don't know about coaches but I know plenty of writers would have put Nebraska in tier one because, hey, look how many games they're winning. Look at the, you know. But if you thought about it structurally, you realize Nebraska was this special sauce that once you lost it, it was going to be very difficult to regain. Even as much as the, the fans care about football in Nebraska. And look, per capita, nobody cares more about their football team than a Nebraska fan. Yo, I mean, no, no, without will, a doubt. Will, but... Unless you can recruit nationally unless you can create some sort of competitive advantage through your s and c through you know the 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 fabled myth and somewhat mythological county scholarship programs and all that sort of stuff oh yeah prop prop forty eight all that sort of stuff. once you get those little advantages diminished, you're just a program in the middle of the midwest with no natural recruiting base trying to go into other people's neighborhoods and sell kids to go to a, a, a frigid wasteland. Yeah, we you <laughs> so.
1: know yeah, you're right. And look, I mean it all it all came to an end. They still had good teams and still got talent, but not like they did in the really the early to mid nineties. Because in the Big Eight, I mean that was one of the big beefs and I'll give DeLoss a lot of love on this. He said, no, uh, you know, we're not we're not doing it your way. And they tightened the belts a little bit. In terms of prop forty eight, and and how many you could give excuse me. Um I I think it was one. I I forgot the specifics, but I know Texas and Delas said, no, we're we're not going to go that direction. It definitely pissed off Tom Osborne and you were not going to get some of the guys they were getting in the big eight. Yeah, that's exactly right. And now and, not, it, and it, now they're in the big ten, so all that's gone. So you're right. Look, they they don't have they don't have that advantage to just go take anyone and take Really high risk guys. I mean, I said I want Notre Dame to loosen up a little bit. I, I obviously like a majority of what of what they're doing. In in you, I mean, hell, you follow the guys after, and it's like, God, these, these are uh, these are incredibly bright guys, and it's cool that they're representing Notre Dame. But uh, I do think there are some obviously some opportunities here and there if it's a really good kid and and maybe there's circumstances involved. What Nebraska was doing in the '90s and the campus definitely felt it was too much. In fact, I've seen criticism of Scott Frost, who would have been a late part of that in 97. Some some criticism from not only Nebraska journalists, but people across the country saying that, I guess there's too much of that stuff going on where football players are getting arrested and doing shit they
0: shouldn't. Yeah, well, there's a tension. And you have to, if you're certain programs, if look, if you're in Auburn, you need to make certain Accommodations that, that an Alabama doesn't have to, and that's always sort of how it works. And what so if do you, you're in Nebraska. What do you mean by that? Well, you're just gonna have to like, take more marginal guys or character risks, gotcha. and you're just gonna have to deal with it because you want their talent. You know, you're gonna take Cam Newton. Yeah, I I know he was con- you know I know he was stealing laptops. Yeah, I know his dad's got his hand out. Right. Um, we know that Cam Newton had a lot of problems and a lot of issues, but the dude could ball and they were happy to trade that, that, all that attention and a little probation for that national title because the truth is it usually pays off for you. So, it you know, I, I think it's very interesting. And, uh, you know, the, uh, at the simultaneous to Nebraska, around the same time period, there was some overlap with Dan McCartney's Colorado teams, which were very good and, and were very good at recruiting Texas, specifically Houston, and recruiting L.A. And You mean Bill they, McCartney? Bill McCartney. Yeah. Sorry, I said Dan McCartney. No, that's right. That's uh, Iowa State. Think of the Iowa State old dude. But, yeah, <laughs> Bill McCartney and the promise keepers and all that oh, stuff. Oh, and some of the questionable guys they were getting. Well, they had some questionable guys, and, and they had some guys who had to go into McCartney and say, hey, 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 you, you can't bring in this recruit. And McCartney's like, why? And he's like, he's a blood. This is a crip team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 McCartney's like, okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they famously, the the Boulder police used to keep the uh, composite of the football team and just sort of, if there was some sort of issue downtown in Boulder or whatever, then they needed an eyewitness ID. They'd, they'd sometimes start with the uh, football roster. So, Jesus. yeah, things didn't turn out. They, they, at one point, they had like an active serial killer or something on their team, like a walk-on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, things exploded there a little bit in Colorado.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes me feel good about McKelvey.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Texas is our our hijinks. I mean, I remember one time Lavelle Pinkney and Mike Adams. Oh, got the the yeah, the dorm room water balloon fight. Yeah, I remember. And I was like, oh, oh god, we're we're operating on a different level. <laughs> just <laughs> we
1: ridiculous. Got, we got
0: we got. Tom Osborne making excuses for Lawrence Phillips. And we're suspending our two best receivers for a water balloon fight. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. I, I, I've been in jester. It, it could use some water. Uh, it could use water and, and a lot of soap. <laughs> uh, all right. Quickly here, or hell, go as long as you want. Was there a tier three? And how, how many are we talking there? Because I'm curious. Now, you said A&M was in tier two.
0: Yes. And you know what? it's ESPN plus and I'm not paying for the article, but I got the gist of it and I can, I, so I don't actually, I can't actually read all the tier two, tier three and fours, but right. it's, it's, it's what you'd expect, right? It, you know, you know where Utah slots in, you know, where those sorts of schools slot in, where even if they're having great success and Utah is a, a proud program, right? They win a lot of football games, but they don't have a tremendous natural base, right? They've got a right. natural ceiling and, You know, the incredible Urban Meyer season accepted with Alex Smith when they went undefeated. Uh, You know, do you feel like you can win the national title there? Probably not, right? It's not likely. And that's really what it's about. So, um, yeah. You know, what else it's about, Kevin? I went into my Mac Brown voice there for a second. I don't know why. What Uh, a cool thing when you save money. you know, what else it's about? It's about educating these kids and loving on them, and just bringing them, you know, raising their games. You know, if we win a few games along the way, that's important. I guess the fans—they'll crucify you if you win. <laughs> if you lose one game, they'll crucify you. They'll throw you out. They'll tell you to no good. You got to work but, on your uh, Mac a little bit. I know. I'm sorry. I, I kind of got into a <laughs> maybe a little uh, Billy Bob well, Thornton and Sling Blade.
1: So, so, some of the funniest Macs I've heard though are complete caricatures, which I've obviously with the, uh an imitation like that, which so many people have, you know. Some, sometimes the funniest ones are ones is like, "Oh, he's really dialing that up." But yeah, I've heard some good ones, and uh, God bless his soul. Good guy, did some good things for the program. I just
0: I find him hilarious, and I love the juxtaposition of his optimism with passive aggressive. Yes. Uh, like, so yeah, we lost the game. You know, at Texas, <laughs> they'll uh, they'll disown you. They'll they'll. They'll burn your house down for losing one game, nope. but you know that we was love, better. We love Texas, and you're just like, all right, Mac. We we get it, man. <laughs> like, relax. It's gonna be okay. Just but chill out. You Wait. know who else has been okay with us from the start? That's Gabe Winslow at Mortgage Solutions. Gabe has done an awesome job for us, and uh, he's done an awesome job for our listeners. So, you guys know the drill by now. If you mention the podcast, everyone gets a trophy. He's gonna give you five hundred dollars off the closing you bring in a competitive rate, he's going to beat it. And he's probably going to beat it pretty badly. He's going to beat it the way Texas beat San Jose State back in 2017. And <laughs> we suddenly thought that we'd found our offense running the, the power eye. Uh, but Gabe is going to do a lot better and be a lot more lasting than that. And uh, I tell you what, if you are in the market, if you want to take a little money out of your house, if you are buying a new home and summer's coming up, this is the time to do it. I want you to call Gabe Winslow, our buddy uh you can reach mr Winslow at oh my God, somehow I've forgotten his number uh oh, how is this possible? I don't have this in front of me. I bet our uh listeners are like yelling it into the i know in, i can't, can't believe bl- i can't, i can't believe
1: i don't remember it
0: i i how did i how did I blank on this? Hold on, I'm gonna use my Google machine. And I am going to tell you the answer. Sal- How is that possible? Sally was in real <laughs> estate.
1: She she got his number.
0: <laughs> he is as good as Sally Brown. Everyone, <laughs> that's that's our recommendation for Gabe Winslow at Mortgage Solutions. It is eight three two five five seven one zero nine five. How could I possibly have forgotten that? Jeez. One of the few numbers in my in my world that I've committed to memory. But I'm <laughs> trying to walk and drink a Topo Chico, and uh, adjust my uh, chair as I'm talking. And it somehow I blinked 832-557-1095. Gib gave a call. He's going to hook you up. Make sure you mention you're a listener. You're going to get the white glove treatment. You're going to close quickly, and you're going to have an awesome experience. Give him a call and mention the podcast. Kevin, that's all we got. What do you think? Anything else? I think that's it. Uh, so you're back. You're back in San Francisco. What does San Francisco look like? We had good weather today, so I went and got in a workout for our podcast, which was good. Nice. But uh, San Francisco is currently more than New York City. Wow. So uh, try to make sense of that. I can't. All right,
1: man. Always fun. Um, this is this is how much uh, Paul and I enjoy this. I think we had like one or two things or, or maybe three or four things that we were maybe going to talk about, and we only hit one or two. And all of a sudden, we look up, and it's like, all right. We're here, Uh, but yeah, this was an easy fifth hour of radio for me today. It's been a long day. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get something to eat, and I'm going to probably watch some Tony Bourdain stuff because yesterday was the second anniversary of his death when he took his own life, committed suicide, so uh, definitely, I think a lot of us miss Tony, and one of the cool things, you can kind of still at least experience who he was because that'll live on forever.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, I, I like Anthony Bourdain. I always watched his show. I bought his first book, Kitchen Confidential. And, he was a good uh, writer. He not, yeah, he's a good writer. If you've never read it, it's good. He also wrote a couple of books of fiction. Yeah. And I, I read one of them, and it was good. It was good writing. He, is, he was a talented guy, an interesting guy, an open-minded guy, and yeah. he was interested in the world. And he really got interested in the world late. He didn't travel much until well into his 40s. And so, yeah, it gives you some hope. There's a chance to kindle your curiosity even late in life and uh, have a second act and I think that's an interesting one.
1: Yeah, he definitely did. Couple quotes here quickly uh, just especially considering what we're dealing with uh, dealing with right now and that would be let's see if I can find these here. Oh, I always entertain the notion that I'm wrong or that I'll have to revise my opinion. Most of the time that feels good. Sometimes it really hurts and is embarrassing. It's a pretty good way to go through life. Yep. One more. I don't have to agree with you to like you or respect you.
0: That is increasingly becoming rare, and that's something you and I both uh, subscribe to. So hopefully uh, hopefully we can have a little more of that.
1: It'd be nice. Always fun, buddy. We'll talk next week. We appreciate everyone listening. Uh, go check out Gabe and David. Trust me, it's free, and they're going to help you out. And uh, we appreciate everyone listening. We're having a blast doing this. Y'all be safe out there. Adios.